0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Public Health Pharmacist Podcast. I have the honor and privilege of bringing an amazing colleague all the way from Florida to discuss uh, a little bit about what's going on in her state as well as we'll touch a little bit on um, caring for those with a positive HIV status. Um, because that's um, actually both of our backgrounds. And then we'll talk a little bit about um, why things are different um, in our current global pandemic. So I will go ahead and let um, Cassandra go ahead and introduce herself. Um, She's got all kinds of accolades that she can um, let us know about, Uh, and then we'll get right into the good stuff. All right, without further ado, Dr. Esperant. Thank you, Christina. Thanks
1: for that amazing introduction. So my name is Cassandra Esparat. I'm an HIV clinical pharmacist. I happen to work for the AIDS Healthcare Foundation with the focus on prevention. So as we all know, we've been going through this pandemic for a few weeks now, this COVID-19, and a lot has changed in the practice of pharmacy so what we're doing at our clinic specifically is that every time we come into work every day we check each other's temperatures to make sure we don't have a temperature and we make sure that we're wearing our masks but the challenge is to you know try to stay six feet away from each other but you know in a pharmacy setting possibly the best we could do is about three feet Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah so that's really interesting so i have a former student of mine who actually reached out to me um, because they were having difficulty getting PPE so like their management was basically saying like you guys don't need to wear masks like you you know you don't need all these supplies and so we have a task force that we actually came up with here in Las Vegas that's um, helping to donate cloth masks um, obviously it's not the best option, um, but in lieu of not being able to have PPE, this is kind of another extra added layer of protection on top of, you know, the enhanced hand hand hygiene and wiping down frequently and high touch surfaces. So um, again, if if anyone who's listening who isn't a pharmacist and has never worked in a pharmacy, you basically are on top of each other um, in that very small space. And so a majority of the pharmacy is the shelves where the medications are stored and then very like narrow pathways where you can stand and actually like prepare to dispense the medication. So, I mean, you know all states have different regulations for you know um different pharmacies but they all have to have a certain standard like standard counter height standard like workspace and they're all small like there's no like getting around it like
1: <laughs> so we're always in each other's personal space all the
0: time correct, <laughs> correct. so which I think it's really good that you guys are doing the temperature checks um because i know that that you know that's that's one of the symptoms is you know, a high fever as well as a dry cough and shortness of breath. It's really interesting though, I know that um, recently they've come out with some information saying that people may be asymptomatic carriers and they could even spread it just from talking. So that's, I guess, another, another reason why we need PPE. So. Exactly.
1: And I've actually been having that challenge at my pharmacy because the patients are still being able to walk in to pick up their meds. Even though we're encouraging them, you know, they want us to shelter in place, we can deliver it to you. But there's always people that still want to come in, whether it's for privacy reasons or maybe they just want to get out of their house. So a challenge that we're being faced with, they want to ask us for masks. So that's another challenge. I know it's the right thing to do, possibly, for, to hand them each a mask when they walk in, but the way things are going, in order to have it as healthcare providers and professionals, we need to make sure we have enough supply for ourselves. So that's another
0: struggle that I'm having. Should I give them or should I not? So that's yeah, our common that's, that's a really hard decision. And I think, I think we're all struggling with that because there's a fine line between, you know, like, you know, the altruistic side, because obviously we work and care for a vulnerable patient population, those who have a positive status, or those who are at high risk for becoming HIV positive. So I think that we, we all struggle with, you know, like what's best for the patient in addition to what's best for the community, because if, you know, I always talk about like public health being the health of the many versus the health of the one. So like, if I treat one person's, you know, chronic medical condition, say it's, you know, their high blood pressure. It's only going to help that one person versus if I treat somebody's HIV, like that's going to help the entire community and get the community viral load down, right? Or if I give somebody prep, then, you know, which is pre exposure prophylaxis, then I'm going to help everyone in the community not, you know, to, to potentially um, increase the, the transmission rates of HIV. So I think we all struggle with that. But I think when it comes down to it, your personal safety needs to be number one. And so if it's a point of your personal safety, um, you can't help any more patients if you get sick and can't come to work. Exactly. So I think, you know, especially right now, because we're all in this together, like this isn't just like something that's regional that just happened to like one part of the country. Like this is happening to the collective, like it's happening to the entire planet so i think everybody understands the limitations that we're under so i don't think anybody's going to be upset if they you know if you tell them hey i'm sorry i can't provide you with a mask uh, but you know i will be wearing one for my own protection and if we can at least try to like have this you know 6 feet separation this isn't because of my you know dislike or you know not wanting to help you exactly. it's for my personal safety because I want to be able to show up to work and be here to help you tomorrow you know exactly. I think if you look at it that way um it, it makes it a little less of a ethical decision because right. you have to take care of yourself first and foremost or we can even bring up the delivery conversation
1: again like you know mm-hmm. let's protect each other because you guys don't have
0: a drive-through right it's a closed system because it's a it's a clinic setting right do you want to talk a little bit more about like how your guys' setup is because i think it's a little interesting because um i don't know how many people actually know um about how hf works um so you guys actually have a really unique setup so i don't know if you want to talk about that a little bit and sort of your collaboration with the public health department too.
1: Yeah, definitely. So I work for AHF, which is a NGO, a non-governmental organization. We're in 43 different countries. So we support, you know, the the healthcare in 43 countries. So the pharmacy brings the revenue. And what I do is I work with Florida, Broward County Health Department, which is a county in Florida, where they treat STDs for patients, for people in the community at no cost. So our providers collaborate with the Brown County Health Department and treat like STDs. So, after the STDs gets treated, a lot of the patients would be the perfect candidates for PrEP. So, then Absolutely. I get to the patients. Um, I have it set up to where the PrEP navigator from the Department of Health help me out with the patient assistance program. We do a little bit of clinical assessment. I get to know the patient, I consult them, and they are able to leave with their 30 day supply of PrEP. That's
0: awesome. And yeah. Uh, and, and we guys- make
1: arrangements. Brief-
0: and you guys have a provider on site too, right?
1: Yes, we have, I work with nurse practitioners. We have four pro- providers and it's easy because I'm able to have access to them, call them right away, make changes. Like sometimes the provider will send Descovy for a female instead of Truvada. So I'm able to just make that change right away because you know, it's easy mistake to happen.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's awesome. I have a, a, a similar practice um, where I work with a family medicine provider who um, does, you know, a lot of sexual health. We cater to the LGBTQ community uh, and in addition to doing primary care. But that's one of the things that, you know, we do a lot of is, is, is prevention. And we also do PEP as well, which is post-exposure prophylaxis in addition to gender affirming care. So, um, you know, caring for, you know, sexual and gender minorities, I think, is really important. Uh, and and it's a high-risk patient population, so it sounds like you guys um, have a, a, a really great setup. We work pretty pretty closely with our health department here too, so that was actually my position before I was with this family medicine clinic, um, is that I worked with our county health department under my um, faculty appointment for uh, about a little over 10 years before I left there. So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I so, love
1: community health. I love it. It's my passion. I love advocating for people. It's definitely important for us to be.
0: So you, you have a lot of other involvement too within the community. Um, did you want to talk about, a little bit about um, sort of your, your work within the Haitian community and sort of where that came from and your, your desire to, to do more within communities of color? Because I think that that's important work as well.
1: Yes, definitely. So I'm actually, my background is Haitian. So I'm originally from Haiti. And I remember being a young girl and watching um, the CDC come out and say that Haitians were one of the um, ages where HIV was predominant. And then I always wanted to like advocate for my community. Even when it came to like immigration, we never got the most favorable policy. So my original plan was definitely not pharmacy. I wanted to be an attorney. I used to say I was gonna become an attorney to help my community in terms of like immigration policies, et cetera. But I did not become an attorney. I'm actually a pharmacist today, but I'm still able to advocate. I'm still able to educate them on like HIV, HIV prevention, because in my community, we tend to not like to take medication. They want to do a lot of herbals or they don't believe that they're sick or they believe in the pastor or the provider. And I think with my influence, when that older Haitian woman who got it contracted from her husband who was cheating on her when she sees me helping her I think she'll be more prone to listening to my recommendations etc. So that's definitely something that's dear to my heart and I'm also involved in an organization called SPARK which is a women's empowerment organization that we're getting off the line through my organization that I work for AHF so it's like a affinity group for the organization so i'm definitely excited about that i want to empower women to take control of their bodies their lives and just uh, just all about women empowerment that's one of my passions also
0: that's amazing um i think that's great work uh can you talk a little bit about um sort of what you guys have decided to do with your your clientele now um because obviously you said that there are still some people that are coming into the pharmacy, but I know you said you're encouraging delivery services, but what are you guys doing as far as like care for those who are already positive? Are you guys doing telehealth yet or um, transitioning to doing any prep through telehealth? Yeah, so right now, so a
1: lot of the providers are seeing patients through the telehealth services, and I have a close relationship with the providers, so they'll just like send me like a little message, with the patient's ID okay, this person patient wants delivery, which has been working amazing. Which is, I'm excited for the future because I can see this becoming like huge with the whole telehealth. So, the only patients that are actually coming in are like the tested treats from the health department because we do have a grant with the Ryan White. So, that's the only patients that
0: are coming into the building so far. So, it's basically side. just rapid starts then, yeah, rapid that's side. awesome it's it great so if you already have established care then like you don't even need to come in exactly and what we're trying to do is to push the refills like two
1: weeks out so that they have mm-hmm. an extra supply because we don't know when we're going to close a lot of our clinics have actually shut down due to exposures Wow. so we're going down slowly so challenging
0: wow yeah. awesome well i think that's phenomenal work um give me one second my daughter is crying i'm gonna stop okay. the recording um and then okay. i'll go grab her okay right no moment no. okay no. all right so um one other thing that we've realized during uh COVID, um especially during this pandemic is a couple things so why it's so important that we invest in public health and why public health workers and people who work on preventative care are so important like yourself. Um, But it's also um, brought to light some of the um, kind of holes and maybe some inadequacies that we have within our healthcare system and our, uh, our supply chain. So one of the things that um, I know is kind of an issue nationwide right now is sort of our lack of testing. So um, I know that you know we've chatted a couple times um, and you sent me this really awesome video about something that your guys' organization is doing for your employees. Um, so there are some new tests that are coming online. Um, we've got PCR tests that are looking for the RNA, but then now we're looking towards the future, which is really interesting because there's so many parallels between this and HIV. Um, you know, back in the beginning of the HIV epidemic, there was you know only an RNA test and not an ELISA test or an antibody test, and then we had you know several years where you know we had to wait for people to become sick or ill with hiv before we could really test them appropriately so um do you want to talk a little bit about how you guys are kind of on the forefront of some of this unique testing
1: yeah definitely i like how you brought up the pcr testing another challenge with the pcr testing is that you have to have laboratory tests right so you have to submit it to a lab and wait about two to three days i believe so you get the lab information back. So that's time and you're not able to get a hold of the test because they're in demand. So there's a limited number of tests. So what my organization did was they got a hold of this new company called Biomedics and they actually offer COVID-19 rapid 15 minute tests. So what this test does is it tests to see if you were ever exposed to the, to COVID as of 14 days ago, which means that your body would have created the antibodies. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's only about 89% effective, but it's a good option when you cannot have access to the PCR test and there's no labs needed. So so yes, our organization, AHF, did go ahead and test all the frontline employees because we have had exposures at other clinics and a lot of the floating team traveled to all the clinics, so just to make sure we are okay, they got a hold of the, that exam. So I think there's some other things coming down the line that they mm-hmm. will be, you know, because a lot of people would say, "Why are they testing the employees when there's people who have like side effects?" But this is different than the PCR. This is actually an antibody test, so it's a little bit different, and they're mm-hmm. producing them quite frequently, just to make that clear.
0: Yes, very good, yeah. I think, you know, for the lay public, it is, it's is—it's really challenging um, digesting all of the news. So in addition to the fact that we have a pandemic, we also have an infodemic, right? So it's this like tsunami of exactly. news just constantly bombarding everyone. And I think it's really hard to kind of piece through the noise and figure out, you know, is this something I should be paying attention to or is this something that is just like, kind of like on the periphery that I don't really need to listen to. So, you know, what kind of sources are you using to make sure that you're staying up to date and, you know, like on the forefront? I mean, is there anything, you know, like, do you guys have like a specific communication tool that you use within Florida to kind of help um, with some of the changes? Cause everything is so rapidly evolving with COVID. Um, I feel like it's, you know, at least day by day. And sometimes it's hour by hour. I mean, you follow me on social media, you know, I post things like two or three times a day sometimes, cause it's just so many. Definitely, updates. definitely. I,
1: I think the most accurate uh, source is the Johns Hopkins. They update like as of the hour. And I know like CDC is a good resource too, but they don't update as
0: frequently. compared mm, to like, So the you John mean Hopkins. the dashboard, right? The J- Johns Hopkins Dash. dashboard. Okay, yeah.
1: Yeah, the dashboard.
0: And also, um, University
1: of Florida, they actually have um, some CEs that they are like producing really quickly. Every time I go on their website for their pharmacy, there's like a new video, and that's a lot of information that helps you stay abreast. I think that's a really good resource for me, and uh, it's, anybody can u- utilize it. It has free access. And also, ASHP, they have a lot of information, too, and it's all free access right now.
0: What's ASHP, for those of us who are not pharmacists that are listening to the podcast? Oh,
1: okay. Yeah, So it's the American Society of Healthcare Pharmacists.
0: Yeah, American Society of Health System Pharmacists. Yeah, so, pharmacists yeah so it's, uh, yeah, no, it, we we all live in alphabet soup. So but, many acronyms to yeah. remember. <laughs> what was it? No, it's all good, all good, all good, no. Uh, so yeah, so ASHP, uh, it is a great organization for pharmacists. It's a national organization. I know a lot of the state affiliates are also super active. So um, personally, I'm pretty active with the California Society of Health System Pharmacists. I know things a little little odd because I live in Nevada, but we actually do a combined meeting um, here in Nevada with the California Society of Health System Pharmacists every four years. And so I was on their continuing education committee um, for the combined meeting and they kept me. (laughs) So I was actually um, the continuing education chair for CPE um, a few years ago, and then they reached back out to me Um, to help with the implementation of SB 159, which is the PrEP um, legislation, PEP and PrEP legislation that they passed uh, last year and is gonna be implemented in July of this year, year, allowing pharmacists to prescribe PEP and PrEP in a pharmacy without a prescription. So that's pretty awesome. Um, But now switching to COVID, they've really been on the forefront because, you know, California, just like New York and Florida, um, you know, have been super hard hit and have had lots of cases. And so they're really on the forefront of utilizing pharmacists at the level of their, you know, licensure and expertise to help with the crisis um, because, you know, we, we can help. You know, I, I think a lot of times we, you know, especially I see, you know, that's like, you know, help our first responders and, you know, it's, you know, you always hear doctors and nurses and, you know, and it's not that I'm not saying that doctors and nurses are, you know, shouldn't be mentioned because obviously they are, but I also don't want to forget about pharmacists because we're also on the front line as well. And that was something that I, you know, talked about often with my students when I had them at the health district was that, you know, I would teach them about disaster preparedness and I would say, you know, as of right now, pharmacists aren't considered first responders, but I think that that's evolving and changing, especially after all the help we gave during the H1N1 pandemic. Exactly. You know, before that, pharmacists, you know, you didn't, you know, I, I think if, if somebody asked you today, you know, where do you go and get your vaccination? Where would they tell you they go? They can tell you the pharmacy. Exactly. Today. But yeah. that wasn't the case 10 years ago. Right? Before H1N1, Mm -hmm. it was rare to see pharmacies giving out vaccinations and not even every state in the country at that point had legislation allowing pharmacists to provide vaccinations. So I I think we're at another tipping point where we're going to see evolution of services being offered in a community pharmacy setting like PEP, like PrEP Um, and you know if we have these point of care testing for COVID that's more, you know, scaled up that, that you know that we can have in, in um, doctors' offices and clinics that are CLIA wave. I see pharmacists helping with this too because you know we need to do that surveillance testing. We're not so it's it's gonna be really hard for us to get a full picture of what's happening with this virus if we don't test, you know, more people. Because exactly. right now it just looks like the death rate is crazy high because all we see is the deaths and the hospitalizations because those are the only people we're testing and we're not testing the general population. So we don't know the denominator.
1: Exactly. So that's where those antibody tests will come into play, to know exactly how many people are actually exposed. And to also go back to what you're saying about our, our place and the healthcare team, I just noticed that like a few years ago, maybe like 10 years ago, before I even became a pharmacist, because I was a technician first, I always used to notice that the pharmacists were always afraid to give the providers advice. But now, as a pharmacist, I feel like I'm their lifeline. Like they depend on us so much and i can see amazing things happening with that position yeah. to expand our use on the healthcare team which is really exciting for the profession
0: i agree i think we're we are at the precipice of sort of this evolution of of the profession as well as how the public sees us and you know the fact that we are a resource and we can you know provac- provide direct patient care um, especially if it's an established diagnosis, it's chronic medical condition, you know, let us do what we do best, which is therapeutic management. Like we're the drug experts. Let us do our job, you know? Like, exactly. <laughs> you know. And we're already so, giving
1: refills during the emergency state we're in, yeah, so exactly. why
0: not? <laughs> A lot of governors and a lot of states, boards of pharmacy are making those provisions to allow for Pharmacists to be able to do that because we don't want to inundate the healthcare system. Because right exactly. now, the only people who should be seeking in-person care are people who need care for COVID or for you know emergency medical attention because they have something that requires acute care. Exactly. You know? Everything else can be do- can be done remotely at this point. Even prep even prep yes did you want to talk a little bit about some research that you've done i know that you've looked at some best practices for some people that have already implemented uh prep services uh during you know during the pandemic and and doing a lot of telemedicine Did you want to talk a little bit about that
1: right so like i know that um i found out that john hopkins they have a teleprEP program where they they consult patients for prep through like um telehealth and they also have the patients um, go ahead and swab and they mail in their labs so that they can and that's definitely easy because access for prep is always a challenge to have the patients come in for their follow ups because remember they're not sick so they tend to put that on the back burner and i do feel like it should be a little bit more lax policies like the every three months because again the patient is not positive a lot of times they're sharing pills with their friends so that's definitely presents a challenge and i think the telehealth would be the best case scenario to implement a service like that but as you know in public health because we're not charging the patients for the labs so that would be the challenge which i'm working on to try to create a protocol for my clinic to try to implement it the best we can during this pandemic because it's a need, and we're having challenge at how to keep patients in care without their labs. So that's something I'm currently working on and doing the research continuously. So hopefully one day we'll come back into an update.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that that's great, and having those best practices I think is super important. Um, you know, as much as I know that the CDC has recommended that you know people should not be engaging in sexual encounters with someone who doesn't already live in their household, let's be honest, people are utilizing this time in their homes to do other things other than- Of course. Come December, we're going
1: to have a lot of babies named COVID and Charmin,
0: right? Right? (laughs) COVID, Charmin, um, paper (laughs) towel, I don't know. Um, Yeah. So, but seriously though, I, I, it's You know, it's, you know, the quarantine and chill, you know, like that's like, that's a thing now. Like, it's a pickup line. Like, do you want to self quarantine with me? And it's like, uh, (laughs) we still need to have some of these preventative care measures. Like, we can't just pretend that people aren't going to have sex. Like, exactly. Like, well, prep's not needed. People are supposed to be at home. Well, we'll exactly. And people have time on their hands. So they're going to start like dating virtually and things like that. Well, he I, mean, that's I we talked about that too. So I had a colleague of mine uh, who reached out um, cause she knows that I talk a lot about COVID. Um, I do a lot of local, you know, television news stations and stuff here. I do a lot of media contributing. And she was like, hey, I have a new bae. Um, <laughs> is it okay if he comes over? Like we both work from home and we both live alone. And I was like, um, no. <laughs> like I, I, I was like, I felt bad because I was like, no, you can't have him come over to your house. I was like, unless he's going <laughs> to stay through the quarantine and y'all are going to be like chilling together, like that's the only way. And she was like, ah, oh, we just barely met. Like, how she was just like so disappointed. But I was like, you know what you can do? I was like, you guys can video chat. You can, you know, you can share the same meal. You guys can get food delivered at the same time. We allow alcohol delivery now too. Um, yes, but, I noticed that. Florida yeah, too. Yep, yep, yeah. You know how Vegas does. Um, <laughs> so I was like, you guys can share the same meal together, can have the same experience. I was like, you guys can even go for a walking date. Just no holding hands and no kissing, and make sure that you're at least six feet apart. And I contacted her after, and I was like, "Hey, how are things going?" She's like, "We went on our first walking date." <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, I think it's just we just it's it's different, you know. It's not the best option, but you know, we all need to be connected. And social distancing, exactly. and physical distancing, does not mean to disengage. You know, you still need to right. have a connection with somebody, and you can still do that without physical touch, at least for exactly. right now.
1: Exactly. There's and like new hobbies that we have to develop now, right? We you have like know how many friends coat of mine is. have
0: picked up sewing? <laughs> so many people are sewing, like crazy. What, are they
1: making masks?
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, they're making masks, but they're doing other them. things too. But a lot of people are have picked up sewing as a hobby, which I think is really interesting. Um, yeah, I think we're all evolving and changing. Um, me personally, like I would never have thought, you know, if you had asked me a year ago, um if i thought that i would be doing all these media appearances and you know doing oh, all these things. oh look it looks like my we dad have a visitor hi. yes the mom mommy life mommy. again we are all evolving and changing and mommy has to do work at home Exactly. So that so let's can Sophia. sofia can we stop for just a hi minute? sophia can we stop for just a it's minute elmo. it's
1: elmo So this is the reality.
0: So, uh, you know, one thing that I will say is that I know uh, that we will all come out on the other side of this changed. And I think a lot for the better because of the fact that we've, you know, we've now elevated to light some of the challenges in our healthcare system that maybe were always there. But now they're, you know, they're seeing the sunlight because we have to pay attention to them because it's directly impacting our ability to care for, you know, for patients. Um, I I think that there is gonna be some good that comes out of this. I think not only are we now able to focus more on ourselves and our personal goals and aspirations uh, because we now are being forced to slow down. Um, I had a, a friend of mine, she posted something the other day. She was like, so it turns out that excuse that you said that you didn't have time and that was the reason why you didn't do it wasn't actually the reason why you didn't do it (laughs) because now we all have the time so there's no excuse right so I think that this is really a, a good pause for us it's a good pause for for professionals, it's a good pause for people who maybe were thinking about going back to school and you know didn't have the motivation to do so, and now it's like, well, you know, I can now I have the time, and I you know, in addition to this being a health crisis, it's also going to be an economic crisis, and so I think this is going to really teach us to take care of others and to really focus more on vulnerable populations, which is something you and I both were doing prior to this. But I think it's really bringing that to light that there are so many you know, vulnerable patients and, and just people in general that are you know one paycheck away from you know potentially living on the street. So I'm glad to see that people are helping each other and you know the, I feel like the barter economy is now coming back now. I have a yes. friend of mine she owns a coffee shop and she's doing everything for barter. You know she, she makes this amazing coffee. And you know, people are bringing her, you know, aged whiskey and like homemade biscuits, and like it's just right. amazing. I just, I feel like our humanity is is showing. I feel like yeah. it, it's it's showing.
1: So you mentioned like the vulnerable population.
0: At this point, we're all vulnerable. There's no exception. Yep. Every single person on this planet. <laughs> it's we are all in this together, and I think that's why you see it's just outpouring of support and love and compassion because it's hitting everyone the same like we're all in this together like you can't say oh well you know covid's not affecting me well right where do you live like right (laughs) you know like that just seems nuts to me um but yeah i i'm so happy that you decided to join me on the podcast today i always ask my my guests Um, similar questions but if there was uh, you know three you know pearls of wisdom or things that you would like to leave um, our audience with what would they be
1: so the first thing I would like to leave your audience with is to always stop and check on your mental health whether it's like for me it's my faith and Jesus I that's my foundation So that's what keeps me grounded. Whatever it is for you, make sure you focus on that because the world is changing and we're at a place where we cannot control what's happening. So make sure you stay grounded and have a foundation to know who you are and what you stand for. The second thing I would recommend is to, to not allow yourself to be bombarded by the information of the news. Like if you're gonna listen to you know, NPR in the morning one time for like 15 minutes, the clips, and then you listen to it in the afternoon. That's another advice because there's so much information coming from different sources and it can become really overwhelming that it can affect you mentally and physically. And, you know, and the third thing I would say is to make sure you're exercising it's very important make sure you're exercising make sure you're keeping your routine going I think those are the most important things that we all can do together and um, when we'll come out of this situation better people
0: yeah I agree so we all need to have a healthy diet when it comes to social media so don't eat a bunch of social junk Exactly. Yes, It's like so, fast food, it's like, like bad. Limit fast food. limit your social media diet, right? Exactly. Like I feel like that's exactly. that's that's a good thing to, to recommend. So, yes, if uh, the people who are listening um, want to find you, where would they find you? So they can find me on Instagram. My Instagram handle is
1: the Prep and HIV Pharmacists. And so you can find me there. And I'm also on LinkedIn as Cassandra Esperant. You can always look me up.
0: Perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time and um, stay safe. Um, and thank you so much for what you're doing for your patients and for being on the forefront of care for the underserved. And hopefully I'll we'll have you on again and we can chat about that online prep. Uh, clinic that you guys will be starting soon
1: yes i'm excited about that thank you so much christina for having me awesome chat with you soon bye, bye.